Good morning. Well, we are at a stage in David's life <clears throat> where he ha- uh, is 30 years old, and we're going to look at the next 20-year period of his life. So last week, we looked at approximately 10 years of his life, and it took us about an hour. And so this week, we're going to go over a 20-year period of, your li- of his life, so... Keep up. <laughs> Two hours, yeah. All right, David, um, we're going to take a look at the life, his life period from the time he was about 30 years of age. That's when he became king of Judah uh, until he was about 50. And, and this period of time um, has as its beginning, the fact that he became king, has as its ending... Uh, his sin with Bathsheba, which we'll look at in a number of weeks, uh, a few weeks out from now. So, just to refresh your memory, the, the, this is the setting of this uh, account here. Um, the news came to David that both Saul and Jonathan had been killed uh, in battle in Mount Gilboa. The chase was over. David's enemy uh, had uh, been killed. There were no more pursuers. That period of his life was over. David had not lifted a finger against Saul. But the one who reported the news told David that he had found Saul slumped over his sword. Life was still in him. And Saul said to him, kill me. I don't want to be killed by the Philistines. And so he took out his sword and he basically killed uh, King Saul. This is what he reported. That's not really what happened, but that's what he said happened. And I think what he was trying to do is to, to get in on the good side of David because he didn't know David well at all. And to say, look, I took care of your enemy. What's the reward, right? Make me as one of your, you know, your uh, uh, generals or something like that. Um, David's response here is very wise and he's blameless. He tore his clothes, he wept, and he fasted until evening. And as he did that, his men watched him, and they followed uh, what he did. And they also uh, wept and, and fasted until evening. Then David asked the Amalekite who brought him the news, um, why did you not fear killing the Lord's anointed? David's conscience, if you remember, slew him when he was inside the cave and Saul came in to relieve himself and all of his men were saying, oh, right, here he is. Take him out. Take Saul out now. God has delivered him to your hand. And he he snuck up to where Saul was and he took his sword and he sliced just a corner of his garment off and his conscience was uh, smitten because uh, he had even done that. And so here he is saying to this Amalekite, why is it that you had no problem in killing the Lord's anointed by your own confession? Based on his own testimony, David ordered him to be killed on the spot, and he was. Then David penned a psalm about Saul and Jonathan called the Song of the Bow. And I'd like you to turn there with me. It's Second Samuel chapter 1.
<clears throat> we're just going to look at a, a few phrases here. Second Samuel chapter one and beginning with verse nineteen. The beauty of Israel is slain on your high places. Who is he referring to here? King Saul. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath, proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. And he's saying, look, this is a sad day. Don't be broadcasting this news to the enemy to give them an opportunity to rejoice and to, to celebrate his death. O mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew nor rain upon you, nor fields of offerings, for the shield of the mighty is cast away there. The shield of Saul, not anointed with oil. It's very poetic. What he's saying is that, look, after a battle, they would clean the sword, they would clean the shield, and they would oil it. And that didn't happen in this case. Saul is dead. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back, and the sword of Saul did not return empty. He's, he's proclaiming them to be great warriors in Israel. Then he says this, Saul and Jonathan were beloved and pleasant in their lives, and in their death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. O daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet with luxury, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. And he, then he has a special verse about Jonathan himself. But I want to focus primarily on his... Um, comments about Saul. Saul was his enemy. Saul had tried to kill him for years. David had fled from Saul multiple times, and yet this is what he pens um, about, about Saul. They did not have tombstones in those days with words engraved on the tombstone. But this, in a sense, is the epitaph of Saul. Um, and in the psalm, David praises the memory of both Saul and Jonathan, and he sings of them as mighty warriors um, and, and their exploits. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. Not only were they strong warriors for Israel, but Saul had made life in Israel good. He had basically established them as a nation, and because of the, the safety and security, some measure of safety and security that they experienced, they enjoyed the blessing of God. They enjoyed, as he calls it here, luxury and, um, and ornaments of gold and so on. Not a word, if you notice, not a word is mentioned in all of this psalm that he wrote of Saul's murderous intentions. Not a word. It's all covered over. It tells me something about the sterling character of David. And in particular, I think it shows the kindness of David in not speaking evil of his enemy. He would not speak a word against his enemy. He would not lift his hand against the Lord's anointed. And he would patiently wait for God to remove Saul in his time and place David on the throne in his time waiting patiently for the Lord. You know, our speech often reveals the kind of person that we are. You know, uh, out of, the Lord said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I listen carefully to how people talk, what they say, what kind of language they use. 
I'm not picking on their English or their grammar or things like that. That doesn't matter to me as much as some of the English teachers. The thing that is important to me is what is really coming out of their heart? What are they really thinking inside? It tells me a lot about that person. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know, we may have opponents in this life, as David did, but Paul teaches us in Colossians 4, 6, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. In the context, he's talking about those who oppose us, those who are enemies as believers, and he's saying, this is how you should respond to them in your speech. In Titus 2, he says, Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded, in all things showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that the one who is the opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. All right, so that's the setting. We looked at just briefly there the kindness of David in response to his enemies. Well, we're going to go over a little bit of history here and then try to tie in some character traits as well. David then inquired of the Lord, and this was part of his habit, part of his practice, to say, Lord, what do you want me to do next? Here I am. We no longer have a king. What do you want me to do? And so the Lord told him to go to Hebron, and uh, that's where he settled. Hebron was a city of refuge. And when he arrived there, he was anointed with oil. This is the second time David was anointed with oil. The first time was by Samuel when he was called to service, ultimately to be the king. The second time here is that he is anointed as king, but he's not anointed as king over all of Israel. He's only anointed as king over Judah. And so it's a smaller section. God hasn't given him everything yet. And it's going to be seven and a half years before he gets everything um, under his uh, command or under his uh, kingship. <clears throat> okay, so at this time, a son of Saul, uh, Ishbosheth, wants to carry on uh, power and uh, the throne. And so he has um, one of Saul's generals, his name is Abner, who supports him in this and says, yeah, so we're going to carry on with King with, with King." Saul's dynasty, if you will, and uh, that's what they do. But in David's case, he's reigning over Judah. First order of business as king is found in 1 Samuel 2. And we'll begin reading um, verse 4. He was going to show kindness again. By the way, kindness is an excellent character trait, um, recommended to all. It is one of the fruit or a portion if you will of the fruit of the spirit it's um, included in that list and in first samuel 2 4 through 6 we read this then the men of judah came and there the anointed david king over the house of judah and they told david saying the men of jabesh gilead were the ones who buried saul so david sent messengers to the men of jabesh gilead and said to them you are blessed of the lord for you have shown this kindness to your Lord, to Saul, and have buried him. And now may the Lord show kindness and truth to you. I also will repay you this kindness because you have done this thing. You have shown this kindness. May the Lord show kindness 
I also will repay you this kindness. You have shown this kindness. What did they do? Saul and Jonathan had been taken, and uh, they had been taken to the uh, Philistines' temple, and uh, as kind of a a mockery of them and and the victory that um, the Philistines had gained over uh, Israel. But the men of Jabesh-Gilead sent a party to the Philistine temple, and undercover, they went and they stole back the bodies of Saul and Jonathan and uh, gave them a proper and decent burial. And so that's what he's referring to here. If you remember in Saul's earlier, uh, the, the very beginning of his reign, the men of Jabesh-Gilead had been threatened. And uh, the threat was that they were to be uh, taken as, into slavery and they were going to have their right eye gouged out. And so they made an appeal to Saul and, and they said, look, give us a week before you do this to us and we're going to call upon Israel to come and help us. And so they made an appeal to Saul and Saul, uh, through kind of a, a, a strange um, courier service, he chopped up an animal and said, if you don't come out and help us, I'm going to chop up all of your animals too. And so all of Israel came out and, and uh, joined in the fray and, and defeated their enemies and delivered the people of Jabesh Gilead from slavery and from having their eye gouged out. And they never forgot it. That was the early part of Saul's reign. And this is now some 30 some odd years later uh, that they're responding to Saul with kindness. And so they showed him their respect by giving him a proper burial. David says, may the Lord show kindness to you. May the Lord show kindness to you as saints. He has, and he does. There's a psalm, it's the shortest psalm. Anybody know what number it is? 117, did I hear you say that? Yeah, you're right, 117. Two verses long, and this is what it says. It speaks of the Lord's kindness to us. Yes, even Gentiles. It says, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples, for his merciful kindness is great toward us. Is that true? Wow, I didn't hear too much of a response. Is it true that the Lord is, His merciful kindness is great toward us? Okay, thank you. (laughs) Every day. And it says, And the truth of the Lord endures forever. forever. Praise the Lord. His kindness, first of all, leads us to repentance. Okay? He brings us to repentance by showing us kindness. We turn to Him. And we know, the Bible says in Ephesians 2, that he, after we're saved, he raises us up together, made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Have you experienced the kindness of the Lord? Matt Matt, Matt has, very good. (laughs) I know you have. And then David said, I will also repay you this kindness. Colossians 3.12, Paul says this, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. One of the character qualities of the fruit of the Spirit, as I mentioned, is kindness. And Paul exhorts us that we are to add to our faith kindness. Ultimately, that he gets to brotherly kindness. Paul says about love that love is patient 
and kind. It's part of, um, again, the fruit of the Spirit, as we say. How do we repay kindness to others who have shown kindness to us? There's a lady, she's a, a nurse, or she was in her second year of nursing in uh, school. Her name was Joanne Jones. And she says this, During my second year of nursing school, our professor gave us a quiz. I breezed through the questions until I reached the last one. And it says, this is the question, What is the first name of the woman who cleans the school? Surely this was a joke. I had seen the cleaning woman several times, but how would I know her name? I handed in my paper, leaving the last question blank. Before the class ended, one student asked if the last question would count towards the grade. Absolutely, the professor said. In your careers, you will meet many people. All are significant. They deserve your attention and your care, even if all you do is smile or say hello. Nurse Jones says, I've never forgotten this lesson. I also learned that her name was Dorothy. (laughs) Kindness. David began his reign with kindness. He demonstrated this fruit of the Spirit. Well, let's go on a little bit in, in the history part of it. His kingdom became stronger and stronger while Saul's son uh, saw his kingdom faltering. Ishbosheth, at one point, accused Abner of sin, and this angered him so much that he said, you know what, I'm through with you, and I'm going to turn the heart of the rest of the nation to David. And ultimately, Abner and Ishbosheth were both killed by murderers. And David also acted wisely in how he handled that um, matter. So finally we get to 2 Samuel chapter 5. And David is installed as king over all of Israel. He is anointed for the third time, this time as king over the entire nation. So if we were to breeze through the rest of the chapters here, we would see that David um, captured Jerusalem as his capital. He made it his capital city, and he also made it, ultimately, he made it the center of worship for the Jews. We see David after kind of a battle between Abner and and Joab and all of that that went on, that he ultimately made Joab his general. And uh, David ultimately brings the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem and sets it up there um, after he learns the proper way of moving it. David also made great strides towards captivating or capturing the land that God had promised uh, to Abraham. And uh, his kingdom went much further in in, uh, territory than Saul's had had gone. And ultimately, David's son uh, Solomon will actually see an expansion of the territory to an even greater extent, but never fully capturing all of the land that God had promised to the Jews. That's still to come. So David is in Jerusalem now. This is the city of the great king. He's living there in this great house with uh, cedar beams and everything else. And he is enjoying his house one day, looking around, and he says, this is really nice. Why am I living in something like this? And, and the Lord has a tent. I'm going to build a house for the Lord. And it's a wonderful story. We're not going to go into great detail here, but just to say this, David 
said out loud, he said, I'm going to build the Lord a house. And Nathan the prophet said, great, do what's in your heart. And then that night, the Lord said to David, you're not going to build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. Now David could have said, well, wait a minute, I already have a house. I don't need another house. You need a house. But God, does God need a house? No, he doesn't need a house. Even heaven and the highest heavens cannot contain him. You know, it says that the earth is his footstool. You know, he doesn't need to dwell in a house. But the Lord understood what David was saying there, that he wanted to, to build him a house. But the Lord wasn't saying he was going to build David another brick and mortar or, or cedar beam type of construction. He was saying, look, I'm going to build you something better than a physical house. I'm going to build a kingdom for you that will never end. And on your throne, there will always be your seed. And it was a wonderful promise that God had given to David here about the future Messiah who would ultimately come and reign on David's throne. Has that happened yet? No. Will it happen? Yes. Okay. Psalm 2 pictures this event. And it says this in just one of the verses. Um, God asks the question, why do the nations rage and the, the people imagine a vain thing? As if puny human beings could somehow stop God from his purposes and his plans to set his king on his throne. And he laughs them to scorn. He says, I will hold them in derision. I have set my king on my holy hill. And he's saying it as a, in, in the past, past tense. I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. And so the future is just as certain as if it had already taken place. And God is so certain that his, that his son will reign from David's throne that it's spoken of as past tense. And yet we know that it's still future. Okay? But that's the wonderful thing about God's word. If he has said something, it will happen. God is not a man that he should lie or the son of man that he should repent. Has he said it? He'll do it. Has he spoken? It'll be done. Okay? So, instead of David going out and constructing this great big temple for the Lord, the Lord is saying to David, I'm going to give you something far better. Okay? And David is absolutely blown away by God's offer here, God's promise to him. He's saying, I am going to do this for you. And David writes a psalm of praise to the Lord and over and over and over again, he thanks the Lord for what he's going to do. David recognizes he doesn't deserve this. He hasn't earned this. This is just the grace of God uh, to him. David, you have shown kindness. Now, as we, as we saw with David's message to the people of Jabesh Gilead, may the Lord show this, his kindness to you. And what a kindness he promised David. Now, it's interesting, David didn't build the temple. Solomon did. David prepared the materials for the temple, many of the materials. As he went out and he conquered different um, enemy countries or, or territories, he would gather the gold and the bronze and the silver and he would bring it back and he would put it in storage for that time when the temple would be built. And the Lord did, it says something in the scripture, a very interesting thing. Inasmuch as it was in your hearts, God gave him credit. Really, that's what he was saying. God rewarded David 
credited to his account, if you will, the building of the temple, even though he didn't uh, dig a spade full of dirt in it, okay? Because it was in his heart. And God credited it for him. Wow, that tells you something about God's accounting practices, doesn't it? <laughs> That's great. God sometimes says no to us about great desires that we have. We talked about a little bit of this last week, how we have a, a vision of what we would like to do for the Lord. And sometimes the Lord allows us to co- accomplish those things, and sometimes He says no. But in as much as it was in your heart, He gives you credit for it anyway. I like His accounting, don't you? May the Lord show His kindness to you. So getting back on track here, David showed kindness to the people of Jabesh Gilead because of the kindness they had shown to Saul and Jonathan. So now we skip on forward to chapter 9. And David brings... uh, I'm sorry, chapter 9 brings us to David's kindness once again. In uh, verse 1. Now David said... Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, I wish we could go into this chapter in great detail, but I promised Noad he could preach from it in a couple of weeks, so I won't spill his thunder, okay? But I want to say this much about it. As David established himself as king over all of Israel, he still felt like there was kindness that he could show and of all people, to show it to one of Saul's relatives. Now, I know it says he's doing it for Jonathan's sake, but it's still one of Saul's relatives. He wants to show kindness yet again, and he does. And Noah will tell us all about that later. You know, you'd expect David, as kings did in those days, to show retribution. But he acts more like a Christian here than many Christians do. Paul writes in Ephesians 4, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. So the motivation for kindness should be what Christ has done for us, what God has done for us in Christ. As we look at the cross and see the kindness of the Lord to us, that should motivate us to show kindness to others. And that's what, as I look at David's life here, and I think of how most kings would respond, they would slaughter their enemies entirely. They would wipe them away, and anybody associated with that family, they would wipe them out. And here, he shows kindness to him. If we constantly remember what the Lord has done for us, it will revolutionize our lives in kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness. And so we might ask a similar question. Is there still anyone left that I may show him kindness, not for Jonathan's sake, but for Jesus' sake? Is there still anyone left on earth that I can show kindness to for Jesus' sake? Well, I guess what, you guys? We've got our life cut out for us, don't we? As long as there are people on earth, we can show them kindness for Jesus' sake. In chapter 10, David desires to show kindness to the son of a former king of Ammon. 
And we read in verse 1, It happened after this that the king of the people of Ammon died, and Hanan his son reigned in his place. Then David said, I will show kindness to Hanan the king, I'm sorry, Hanan the son of Nahash, as his father showed kindness to me. So David sent by the hand of his servants to comfort him concerning his father. And David's servants came into the land of the people of Ammon. Now, the story goes on to tell us that the people responded to this act of kindness in a, in a terrible way. They, they treated the people that came, the messengers that came with contempt, and uh, they shamed them and sent them running back to David. It really was a declaration of war by the people of Ammon, and that's what happened. And so David was really attempting to show kindness to his enemies, and they responded by a declaration of war. Not every act of kindness is greeted with appreciation, believe it or not. Sometimes people are both unthankful and just plain evil in their response to kindnesses that are shown to them. And the Lord anticipated that when he said this in Luke 6, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he, and here's the reason why we do this, for he, that is the Lord, is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Now, it's one thing to show kindness to those who show kindness to us. You send me a birthday card, I send you a birthday card. You ask me out for a meal, I ask you out for a meal. You pat the, my, my dog's head, I pat your dog's head. Okay? It's easy to show kindness that way, right? That's not what he's talking about. That's common. Anybody can do that. I pay my lender because he's lent money to me. Okay? He lends to me, but he's not doing it because of this. He wants money back, and then some. Right? So that's common in the world. It's one thing to show kindness to those who show kindness to us. That's natural. But Jesus is challenging us to live supernaturally. This is not normal. It is not natural. But it should be normal for believers. Supernatural. God shows kindness to the unthankful and evil 
And that is what he is calling us to do. And so we are called here to retaliate. To retaliate with kindness. Okay? You understand that's... Okay. So what's the challenge for this week? It's to demonstrate kindness. There's a, a movement in this country called um, Random Acts of Kindness. I don't know if you've heard of this before or not. And um, it's interesting. It's, um, we've talked about this a little bit. Uh, random Act of Kindness is something like this. I go to McDonald's to the drive through and uh, I pay for my meal, and I ask the person, the, the clerk at the window, how much is the meal of the person behind me? And they say, well, it's you know $17.32. Well, put that on my account, too, and pay for it and drive away. And the people you know, are blown away that somebody paid for their lunch. Random act of kindness. You go through a toll booth, and you pay for five people behind you as well. You know, random act of kindness. That's not what he's talking about here, Okay. A random act of kindness, there's nothing wrong with that. If you want to do that, go ahead, okay? And, uh, you know, I'd encourage you to do any kind of kindness you want to. That's not really what he's talking about here. What kindness here is talking about purposeful kindness, okay? It's knowing what you're doing and why you're doing it, all right? There's a reason behind what you're doing. It's not that you might receive a reward, um, and so in that sense, those things are good, but it's so that you might show the same kind of kindness that you've been shown by the Lord, it's acting. It's an act of kindness on purpose. David showed the people of Jabesh-Gilead kindness for the kindness that they had shown to Saul. What they did was righteous. They stood up for what was right at the peril of their own lives in getting the bodies of Saul and Jonathan and, and giving them a proper burial. It was the right thing to do. And David saw that they did the right thing and he rewarded them with kindness, okay? That's what we're talking about here in a case like that. So if you, what should we do with regard to kindness? How should we apply this to our lives this week? See if you can show, not a random act of kindness, although you can do that, but a purposeful act of kindness to someone who has done righteously someone who has done right even at the peril of their own life or finances or something along those lines okay someone who did something right for others and reward them with an act of kindness you can do it secretly you can do it publicly it doesn't make any difference demonstrate kindness secondly see if you can show kindness to someone who has shown a kindness to you that's really what David was doing with um, the people of Ammon. The king had shown kindness to David, and then he died, ultimately. And David saw that his son was grieving, and he went to him to show a kindness to him. It was a return uh, for a kindness that had been shown to, to David. And so think about someone who has shown a kindness to you, and see if, if this week you can show them a kindness and do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. The Bible tells us that even a cup of cold water given in his name, you shall not lose a reward for that. God will reward you for that. And then finally, and this is the supernatural part of it, see if the Lord will allow you to show an act of kindness to someone who is your enemy, someone who is not your friend, 
someone who has not shown a kindness to you, in fact, may have slapped you on the cheek. The kindness to someone who is your enemy. This was the act displayed by the Good Samaritan. In Luke chapter 10, let's just take a look at the story. If you know the history of the Jews, you know that uh, the Jewish people and the Samaritans did not get along. They were enemies. Okay, They were not lovey-dovey. The Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself. And one day a very sharp lawyer asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? He thought he could skirt the issue by a question like that. And this is the answer that the Lord gave to him. Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down, verse uh, 30, chapter 10, verse 30. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And the lawyer said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said, Go and do likewise. An act of kindness to his enemy. The Samaritans weren't loved by the Jews, and yet he showed kindness, love, compassion for this, this man. We can get into the theology of, of the story and all that, but the point of the, the illustration is simply this. He showed kindness to his enemy, to those who were against him. Now, we started the day with a look at the death of Saul and David's epitaph written in a song. And I often think about the question, we've asked the question before, what will your tombstone say? What will be written on your tombstone? Charles Spurgeon said this, A good character is the best tombstone. Those who loved you and were helped by you will remember you when the forget-me-nots have withered. Carve your name on hearts, not on marble. Carve your name on hearts, not marble. And we can begin this week doing that by showing kindness to those who have shown kindness to us and showing kindness to those, even those who are our enemies. Let's just pray. Lord, as we come before you, we thank you for your kindness towards us. And Lord, we think of how, when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, we can't even begin to fathom your kindness to us, and we just pray, Lord, that we might demonstrate that fruit of the Spirit in our lives on a day-to-day -day basis. And we pray, Lord, for opportunities this week to show the kindness of God to, to others, even to our enemies. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.